and let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and our minds this morning be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Family stories are messy. They carry joys and sorrows. They hold shame and hope. And today we continue to hear the family stories of the Hebrew people that we find in the book of Genesis. And before we get to our reading today, we learn in verse 5 of this chapter that Keturah, Abraham's wife after Sarah, has six sons who have become prolific in their progeny. And then in verses 13 through 16, we learn that Ishmael has 12 sons already who themselves are having children. In other words, Abraham has many sons. Many sons has Father Abraham. You still aren't singing. Molly tried to, right? And his seed is spreading throughout the world. But the promise in Genesis 17 was to continue through the loins of a child born to Sarah, Isaac. And as you may recall, when Isaac is born, both his parents are old, so it seemed unlikely. And it's this continual tension of promise made and promise yet to be fulfilled that runs throughout these stories. It's a tension that we feel in our lives today, too. And in our story today, we join Isaac and Rebecca after they have been married for 20 years. And with no children, Isaac prayed to God for help. Now, why it took him 20 years before he prayed, we don't know. But maybe it has something to do with the altar and his childhood. But with God's help, Rebecca became pregnant, and it wasn't an easy pregnancy. Based on her lament, if it is to be this way, why do I live? It must have been a pretty miserable one. And we hear a little bit more when we hear God say to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. It rings of the words that God spoke to Hagar. We hear that the kids aren't necessarily going to be all right, at least not with each other. And yet we hear that Rebekah gave birth to a healthy Esau and healthy Jacob. Jacob and Esau were twins, but they were far from being identical ones. Esau was a hairy man of the field. Jacob was a quiet, thoughtful schemer. Their father Isaac isn't all that significant a figure to this part of our story, except that he was their link to the blessings of life that Jacob wanted more than life itself. However, everyone assumed that these blessings would naturally fall to Esau, the firstborn. Everyone, that is, except the twins' mother, Rebekah, who remembered that God promised to give the blessing to Jacob when the boys were still in her womb. Now, surely Rebekah told her son about this promise. God himself repeated it to Jacob on several occasions, but Jacob just couldn't believe it because everything in the world proclaimed a preference for Esau. The scriptures make it clear that Esau was Isaac's favorite son. Probably when they were boys, Esau was chosen first when their friends were picking teams for games. 
Esau was also picked by the teachers in school. Esau got into the best colleges. He had the highest paying job when he graduated with all of those honors. Esau's grass was always greener than Jacob's. Esau's career was off on a meteoric path. His name was in the newspapers. His family was beautiful. So maybe your mama thinks you're pretty special, but Jacob, you're no Esau. And that's the message that he constantly heard. And maybe you've heard that message too. Maybe it's not a sibling per se, but for so many of us, from the day we are born, we are measuring ourselves against some Esau. Some standard of what we think we should be. Esau isn't just Jacob's older brother. He's also the person you and almost everyone else think you must become before you're going to get any blessings. Esau is the person who is like you but better. He's your preferred twin, the better projection of your potential. And this means that we're constantly evaluating our lives by Esau's standards, which we drag behind us. And no matter what we do, it's never good enough because we believe Esau would have done it better. And Jacob wants to be Esau. Or maybe it's that he wants what he thinks Esau has. He wants things to feel easy. He believes that if only he were Esau, his insecurities, his doubts would go away. The second part of our story this morning is almost flippant and sarcastic in its tone. Esau promises his birthright to Jacob for a warm meal. That's something you can only do when you seem to stumble into everything the rest of us are working so hard to achieve. Esau takes it all for granted. Giving away a birthright is nothing if you assume you're not actually giving it away or that it'll come right back. On the other hand, we can't even fathom giving away everything for a meal because we don't even think that we already have what we want. And the story gets even messier in the chapters ahead. Because when Isaac had grown old and blind and knew that his days on earth were coming to an end, he summoned Esau. Because it was time to pass the blessing on as Abraham had given it to him, as God had given it to Abraham. But Rebekah heard her husband's instructions, and while Esau was still in the field, she summoned Jacob, dressed him up in Esau's clothes, put goat's wool on his neck and hands so that he would feel hairy like his older brother. And then she told him to go into Isaac, pretending he was Esau. And when Jacob entered his father's tent, Isaac asked, Who is there? And Jacob said, I'm Esau. It was a lie, of course, but only a partial lie. By this time, Jacob had become so obsessed with Esau, he'd already stolen his birthright. He wanted so much for his father to honor him as he did Esau. He'd done everything he could to resemble his preferred twin who had overcome his own identity. So when he said, I'm Esau, he was almost telling the truth. The problem was that God had promised to bless Jacob. How pathetic this scene must have looked from heaven. Jacob, the man God had chosen to bless, was standing in front of his blind father with goat's wool taped to his neck and hands. God isn't blind. 
God knows who you are and sees through to the skies, and God wants to bless you, but you have to stop pretending. We all understand Jacob. Sure, we don't agree with his behavior, but we understand it. Trying to get that blessing any way that we can because we can't believe that we'll get it any other way. We don't, as Pastor Molly mentioned in her sermon a few weeks ago, trust that God will deliver on the promise. And so each of us grabs at the heels of a dream. We put on the furs of aspiration. We reach out trying to make things happen. We yearn for a blessing that we can only receive. And that's the problem. We can't earn it, barter for it, or even steal it. Blessings can only be given. And God's blessing to Jacob is the same way. To be blessed is to discover that God cherishes us more deeply than we do ourselves. It's a love so strange and overwhelming that it transforms our lives. It leaves us not as different people, but as our true selves, with, without any pretense we picked up with our envy of Esau. To receive God's blessing is to come home to a place we've never been, but where from the moment we arrive, we know that we belong. It's a place where we're loved unconditionally, not for what we want to be or what we do, but for who we actually are. Many of you probably know that I am a twin. My brother Calvin was born a second, and we joke that he graciously, graciously let me out first. There may be some truth to that because my left arm was amputated in the womb, and so it probably was a good thing that I came out first. And I'm glad that he let me out and that he didn't grab my heel like Jacob did to Esau. And thankfully, our lives as siblings are not so much the same as Esau and Jacob's. But reflecting on this story and on my own, it made me wonder, what would life be like if instead of trying to grab a blessing we can only receive? We instead received that blessing and asked ourselves what it would allow us to do. What if instead of trying to be like Esau or to hold on to him, we accepted that we are accepted? And what if that acceptance means that we help lift others up? Let them out first. What if we help them see that they're blessed too? It seems to me that that's the world that God wants for you. Because God has already made the choice to bless you. You don't need to grab a heel. You don't need to strive. You don't need to be someone you are not. You are enough. But it's up to you to choose to receive the blessing. And to believe that it is yours to have. Let us pray. Oh God, we ask that you would give us the courage to open our eyes, to open our hearts to receive, to receive what only you can give us, the blessing of being chosen and beloved. Amen.